Thank you for being here today instead of at the beach like everybody else. And uh, no, thank you for being here. And we had some people in the 930. It's normally in 11. I said, so where are you going? I knew they were heading out. We're going to the lake. I said, okay, well, have fun while you're there and I'm still here. But no, anyway. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, I, I do want to make note of one thing. We did have a vote last week, and uh, we uh, approved. Are they in here? There you go. Stand up right there. You don't have to come up here. All right. Yeah, this is our new student pastor and his wife, Sarah Beth. And uh, now before you get, you, you can be seated. Thank you. That's all you're going to get. No more, no more hand claps. So. No, but anyway. Um, before you give him a hard time, he officially does not start till June 5th, okay? So give him a little break, and then you can hit him on June 5th, all right? Anyway, it's so good to have them on board here at Putnam, and uh, look forward to how God's going to use them in leading our students in the coming years. All right, well, go ahead and pull out your outline, if you will. Look at the uh, uh, outline there. I'm not going to read everything there, especially that first paragraph, but if you'll skip down to the second paragraph, this is the one you've heard over and over again for about 20 weeks. We exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world by creating a culture where, and let's say this one together, this is big, Jesus is our lead story. Y'all, it's got to be about him. Everything that we do, everything that, every, every event that we have, every fellowship that we have and come, come together, every time we have a service, it's got to be about him. He's the only reason we exist, and he's the only reason we'll continue. And so when you think about that, it's very important that we start there. But number two, scripture and prayer are prime. Now, why would they be so, uh, so necessary? Well, it helps us to learn who Jesus is. And then number three, worship is a lifestyle. It's more than what we do here on Sunday morning. It's something that we carry throughout the week. Number four, we are a family. And, and, and it's interesting, if you go back to Acts chapter 2 and you see how that church interacted, there's no doubt they were a family. And that's what we are striving to become here as a family. And then number five, we is greater than me. It's about us working together to be the most efficient tool that God has to reach this community and to reach the world with the good news. Number six, we get to versus we got to. Y'all, we can't be walking around here saying, well, they asked me to do this. I guess I'm here. No, we got to have passion in what we do. There's no passion in we got to. There's passion when we get to, when we get to serve the Lord and when we get to invest in other people. Number seven, transformation is greater than tradition. We're, we're not here to, to, to settle our traditions on someone. We're here to see lives transformed. And if that's not happening, we're not doing what we're called to do. And then number eight, generosity is common. We're all called to give in response to what God has done. Number nine, multiplication is greater than addition. Uh, additions are great, but multiplication is when we see those who are added when they're multiplying the kingdom also. And then number 10, this is where we are today. We are kingdom Focus, kingdom focus. You know, the world this weekend is looking at uh, Memorial Day weekend is what many people call it. And I got to thinking while I was sitting there and Gary was talking, you know, memorial literally just means to look back and remember. And, and you know, as, I, as he was explaining a lot of that, I was sitting there thinking that really that's what we do every time we come together. Today we chose to acknowledge the veterans and, and first responders and those who have gone on. But do you realize every Sunday that we come together, we're remembering something in the, back there? We're remembering. We're taking a look back to the cross. We're taking a look back to an empty tomb. 
And y'all, that's what it's all about. And when we gather here on Sunday mornings, you know what I like to think of it as? Us refocusing ourselves on the kingdom. Because I don't know about you, but I get out in this world and sometimes I lose focus. I get out in this world and I start to forget what my life is supposed to be about. And I begin to get my priorities out of whack. And I've talked to some of you and I know how easily it can happen. And so when we gather here on Sunday and we sing these praises, you know what we're attempting to do? To to become kingdom focused. To refocus our minds and hearts around what God's called us to do. And hopefully when I come up or any other pastor comes up, we're saying, okay guys, let's refocus what we're here for. Well, today is one of those sermons. I want you to look at the, after we are kingdom focused, look at the next paragraph. We realize that every Bible-believing church doesn't look and feel the same, nor should it. Every church has its own DNA. Every church has its own niche. But every church should be about the mandate of what Jesus has called us to. But every church is different. We should celebrate not only our own accomplishments, but also the accomplishments of, the, of other Bible-believing churches in our community. Competition distracts and divides in a city where a hundred gospel-centered churches could emerge tomorrow and there would still be a need for more. Can I tell you what's happening here in Cleveland County? Something that may surprise you. It surprised me when I first heard this because when I first came to Cleveland County and I would talk to people and I, as it's continued for 27 years of me living here in this county, it seems like everybody you talk to, is, the conversation seems to always go back to what church they're a part of or what church they claim their membership in. And it's very interesting that this statistic would be as, as alarming as it is. If you throw out Christmas and Easter, did you know on most given Sundays, 70% of Cleveland County residents do not attend church on Sunday morning? 70%. That means only 30% are going to church. But I, you go talk to people. Yeah, we go to church over here. We do that. We do that. 70% do not. That tells me there's, there's a whole lot of reach out there. There's a whole lot of possibilities for us to get out there and to reach people and to, to bring the gospel to this community and to, and to the world which he's called us to. So, so when you look at this, look at the next paragraph. We also believe in supporting kingdom-focused causes, like meeting the, need of the, poor, the needs of the poor, the victimized, the unborn, the widow, the orphan, and the marginalized of society. Why do we care about these things? Because Jesus cared about these things. What we're attempting to do, think about what we're attempting to do. We're attempting, as a church, to follow the heart of God. And God's heart is in the matter of the gospel. God's heart is in the matter of justice. God's heart is in the matter of helping those that can't help themselves. And so that's what we're seeking to do. Next, we love our church family here at Putnam, but we also understand that we are just a small part of the universal church Jesus died for and is building in every nation of the earth and across our city. And because his, his church will prevail, we will join Jesus in planning and building his church among all people. As a church, we take seriously the command of Jesus to be on mission. And I'm going to show you our attempts in just a moment. Therefore, we not only pray and give, but also strategically partner with those who the Holy Spirit has sovereignly led us to. We believe in empowering our church family through prayer, financial support, and hands-on training as we send them on mission. And y'all, we're doing that. We see that happening all the time. As a church, we're not just focused on the local mission and the vision of God, but we join him in global vision to reach the world. And so the important question is this. Why would we go to all these measures? And it's because of this, this verse I'm getting ready to read. Jesus has just spent 33 years on earth. 
He came here to identify with us as a people. He saw the needs firsthand. He felt them not only as God, but he felt the needs of man as a human himself. And he was around him. And then as he's beginning to ascend back into heaven, he leaves us with these words. This is why this is important. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, teaching them to obey. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of this age. What he was saying, I'll be there with you even when I come back, when I come back. And so what we're seeing here, we're seeing that we exist, listen, to make him known. We exist to reach people. So how do we as a church, Putnam Baptist Church, how do we attempt to be kingdom focused? At least every several years, I want to show you what we're attempting to do in missions here at Putnam. And so what you're going to see is going to come up on the list. It's not on your outline, but let me show you some things we're attempting to do. First of all, we contribute to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. 4.5% of every dollar that you, or every penny or whatever you give uh, to this church, 4.5% goes to some of these causes. It supports seminaries, uh, leadership training. Uh, many of you know we take up uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you've been a Southern Baptist, you know that's been around all your life. And so that's for world missions and what we can accomplish in the, in, the, in the international movement. Planning churches, supporting missionaries on the field. Some of them are our very own that came through this church. Mission projects. Did you know that SBC is behind orphanages? How many of you, it just breaks your heart that in these third world countries, children have nowhere to go but live on streets? That happens. I've seen it firsthand. It's all over the place. The Southern Baptist Convention seeks to help in that. Not only that, uh, digging wells, meeting the physical needs of people around the world. That's where Lottie Moon, the international mission offering goes. The Annie Armstrong, that's what we take up around Easter, goes to North American missions and, and the things and the needs around here, North America. And then some of it goes to the State Baptist Convention to support state missions and, and the Baptist colleges and those things. And then one that's closer to home, we also support the Greater Cleveland County Baptist Association. Their big ministry is to help smaller churches in their training of their leadership and to help us as we come together to meet the needs of the people in this community. And then there's one that I love that we support. I was able to go to their banquet here several weeks ago, the Pregnancy Resource Center. And it's so cool to be a part of this where we're attempting to protect the innocent, those in the mother's womb, that we can see them come and be born and, and some of the tools that they have there that we can give, 4D imagery of, of that baby in the mother's womb and allowing that mother who maybe have not connected with that child up to that point to actually see that child growing in her womb. You see, all these are things that we believe God's heart is as a Gideon's International. That's just to get the word of God out all over the world. Laura's home, uh, Christine's home and Sandra's home. It's all under the heading of Laura's home. It is the attempt to, to, to help those children that feel displaced and those young adults. Community crisis and food pantry. We attempt to do that. Many times we do that through our own office. Some of you give to the food pantry. We used to operate that right here at the church. Uh, we got to a point we couldn't screen uh, the best way. We, couldn't, we really weren't sure if we were really meeting the needs based on what was, what was coming to our church. And, and so we've turned all that over to the Greater Cleveland Baptist Association. Everything that we take up here at the doors, we take it over there. They have a great screening process. It helps people, gets the food into the people that really need it. 
And, and it just continues. If you give to that, we send it on to them. And you know what they tell us over there? They can't get enough food. And so we're a part of that as far as helping them. And then there's something called child evangelism. It's one of the only ministries that I know of in America where, where Christians can go into the public schools, talk to public school kids about Jesus. And James and Sherry Gibson, who's a part of our church, we support that ministry. And some of you are involved in going and doing that ministry yourself. Putnam Missions, these are places we've attempted to touch in the last seven years. Honduras, Nepal, Mission Serve. Many of you know about Mission Serve. It goes to different cities in our nation. Guatemala. Callie Luckadoo is there. She was able to share with us last week. That's where she is right now. Romania, Africa. We have these connections. We send people to these groups. And then there's individuals going to other countries. Right now, Annie Luckadoo is right there in Guatemala herself, helping her sister. And, and, and those, are, those are things that happen all the time. Individuals say, I believe God's called me to do something. And they go. And we try to get in behind them, support them financially if we can. Quint McCoy, you know him. He's all over the place. <laughs> International Mission Projects. 1% of our budget goes, and this is what I'm so proud about, it goes to a fund in which a mission board distributes money to help our people go on mission. And then we teach them how to write letters to many of our members here that we can get in behind them and financially support them as they go on mission. We can all be in this together. Everything that's given to projects around here, whether we're buying land or renovations or whatever it may be, 10% of that goes to do the same thing somewhere else in the world. That we're not just self-focused. That we continue to be focused on what God's called us to. We have a special partnership with the country of Nepal. Some of you who are new to our church may not realize this, but we, we uncovered a gold mine in Nepal. And their name is Abraham and Kamala. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they're native to Nepal. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've never seen someone who had a, a, a testimony to, to be equipped to do what he's doing the way God's leading him to anybody in my, in my life. I mean, he just, God put everything in place for him to be the, the tool that God could use to the people in Nepal. And we totally, as a church family, we totally underwrite his livelihood. And then there's individuals like you who give individually to some of the ministries that he's doing right there in the hospitals, right there in different places. And then, this is what's exciting. Some of those who have gone on mission to Nepal, they found out that there's other young men that Abraham's trying to raise up as in leadership to be pastors themselves. Guess what? $100 a month supports a young man where he doesn't have to work, but he can put his full attention on spreading the gospel. Just $100. And there's individuals doing that. Man, I tell you, there's some great things going on. And God's led us to have, has led us to have a front row seat to some of this. There's a special partnership with the country of Zambia. Again, why is culture so important to a church? Here's why. Because a family in our church went on mission with us. We were able to send them out on a short-term mission trip. They went several times. They came back. And here's what they said. God's called us, our family, to Zambia. And they uprooted their family with three children, expecting a fourth. Some of you may not know that. And they're right there in Zambia. They raised their own support. We're behind that. And they're over there. Those who were sitting here just like you felt the call of God, uprooted their family and moved. Who does that? <laughs> but they were following the heart of God. And we've been able to be a part of that. That's the reason the culture is so important. 
Next, one love skate. That's Josh and Nicole, Mar- Nicole Marburger. How do I mess up Marburger? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but they're there. They, they, they have this wonderful ministry to, to, to kids and uh, young people. And so continue to pray for them and their work. And some of you give to that, and our church gives to that. Our own full-time Southern Baptist missionaries, they're, they're stationed there in the Middle East. And guess what? They're reaching out to Muslims, which can be very dangerous. So much so, I'm not even mentioning their name because this will be on our internet. I mean, that tells you there's a lot going on. There's things that God is using this place for to, to support and to do His ministry. How about student ministry missions? There's Compassion International. Our students are very involved in that. There's the Living Water Project. That's going on. There's a connect group. I don't know if you know it, but some of the connect groups are taking on ministries or missions. Uh, One connect group is doing the least of these Carolinas to, to, to minister to foster parents. Some of you were part of this. It took over 250 people to pull this off. I forgot the name. Oh, Christmas drive through <laughs> Anyway, we did it right out there. And I tell you, it was a great gift to the community. But you know what? People saw the, the, the gospel message right there in a unique way. And then, of course, there's something called Vacation Bible School. Have you ever heard of that? Vacation Bible School that reaches out in the community and reaches all kinds of children. And our Vacation Bible School does the same. I want to say, I say all that to say this. In 2016, last year, our total missions giving to these things I just named came to just over $286,000. And only God could pull that off. $286,000 since 2006. It's hard not to be proud, you know? (laughs) You know, pride goes before destruction. I understand all that, but I'm here to tell you. Since 2006, we've been able to give almost $2.6 million to missions as a church. And that's not bad for a church named Putnam Baptist Church in Shelby, North Carolina. I'm just here to tell you, God has been using this place and using you and you're following the heart of God. But let me tell you something else that's happened. Several years ago, I met with two of our staff members. And I'll be honest with you, it was kind of horrifying at the time. One staff member came to him. His name was Brian Spear. Some of you remember Brian. He was our small groups guy. And he came to me. He said, I think God's called me to, to plant a church. I said, how far away? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. And he said, Bowling Springs, North Carolina. He said, God's called me to reach a unique group of people. He said, would you guys get in behind it? And we did. We got in behind it. We helped get that start, started and off the ground. And they're still existing, doing a wonderful ministry there in Bowling Springs. Then... The student pastor comes up. I'm like, good night. Are we going to have anybody left? (laughs) He comes up. He says, God's called me to plant a church in my hometown near Forest City. And uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. And so we got in behind that. I mean, our church. I mean, we basically just got it off the ground. Well, about several years after that, that same student pastor comes and says, can we go to lunch? I said, sure. I was all excited. Couldn't wait to hear about what was going on. Far City, you know, carries me to Yamato's. Now, the news he's getting ready to give me would have been better suited at a very nice restaurant. I'm just going to be honest with you. He sits me down and he says this. He said, God, uh, I really feel like God's leading me to plant a church in Shelby. And I'll be honest with you. I struggled with that. And I really tried to figure out where is that struggle coming from? And I mean, I went, I went through years of struggling with that. 
And, and it was very difficult. Many of you know Elements Forest City planted Element Shelby. I didn't know what it was going to do to our church. The only thing I knew is, oh my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't sure if, if people were going to go back and f- go from one church one Sunday and then the other church the next Sunday. I mean, basically the whole, the whole leadership was raised up in this church. I, I'm just sharing you my heart right now. And I struggled. I really struggled. And if you were close to me during that time and you started talking to me about it, I did the best I could to hang up my, to cover up my anguish and my struggle, my inner struggle. But I'm here to tell you, God began to move in my heart a little bit. And then he moved a little bit more and he moved a little bit more to the point that I like to think he made me more kingdom focused. To realize that there's a lot of people that need to be reached. And then the Lord did this to me. <laughs> it's amazing how God works. He, he lays something on your heart, and sometimes he accomplishes it in a way you never thought he'd accomplish it. And so back in 2002, I was a young pastor. I was in my 30s. Not to say you 30-year-olds don't know anything. I didn't know a thing. <laughs> thought I did. Only thing I knew was what God laid on my heart. And he gave me a vision that we just saw just unfolding. I mean, really, it just started to unfold. It became a reality. And I thought, man, we are on track. It wound up being a 20-year plan that I believe God gave me. And I'm like, Lord, you're going to keep me in Shelby for 20 years? <laughs> you know, sorry, no offense, but I was, I was really sitting there thinking, I thought I'd go back home or whatever. And all of a sudden, there started things happening. And, and then Neil comes up to me and says, I want to plant a church back. And I wondered, what was that going to do? God, you laid this on my heart. You know, how, how do you tell someone, no, God didn't tell you to do that? Uh, is it your own ego, ego, ego speaking into that? Is it you speaking into that? I, was, I, I just didn't know how to, how to read it. But here's what God showed me. <laughs> this is the 20-year plan. It's three pages. 2017, in 2017, we were going to, this is where I I felt like we were going to save to build our second new church plant. (laughs) I mean, get that, second new church plant. Between the first church plant and and this location here, our prayer, or what I believe God would show me, we we could possibly be around 1,100 people in worship. 1,100 people in worship. We were going to add staff members to go put at those churches. Okay, you see where I'm headed with this? I wanted to be in the middle of training them up, patting them on the head, telling them what they need to do. This is what it's going to look like. But there's a lot of me in that picture, right? And you know what? I started looking at all these things I thought were threats. I started looking at all these things in my life that, Lord, why would you allow that? You know, I just love these people, but I'm just not getting this. Now, here's what God showed me recently. We've had four pastors come out from under us to be a part of these works. Guess how many worshipers are worshiping here in Cleveland County and Rutherford County as a result of what this church got behind? One of these churches called themselves a grandchild of this church. This is their words. Because of that move, there are just over, on average, 2,000 worshipers as a result of what we attempted to do years ago. How many was I thinking we were going to have? Maybe 1,100. 2,000 worshipers 
are being led, and I'm not talking about, I'm not bragging here. I'm just letting you see what I had to see before I could get my heart fully around it. 2,000 people worshiping the Lord in which the leadership came up from within this body that's out there doing that work. God has exceeded what he showed me 16 years ago. How many of you just want God sometimes to just do it the way you want to do it? But he chose to take a different route. And you know something? I've gotten to a point in my life where I can't see that it could have happened any other way. And y'all, that's how big God is. You may be looking. I didn't share this in the first service. I don't know who this is for out there. And I'm not one of those that's sitting there, oh, got something for you. But sometimes he does give us something. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but you may be sitting there thinking you're going to be the one to fix it. You're going to be the one that's going to call the shots. You're the one that's going to come out on the end. And I'm not saying your ego is driving you in that direction, but let me just, let me tell you what I've learned in this process. God has a plan. He may let you share in that plan. He may let you have a part in that plan. But ultimately, listen, it's not your plan. It's his plan wasn't my plan. He gave me the plan. The same thing goes for anything else you're dealing with in your life right now. I don't know what it is. Wayward child. A wayward spouse. A pain right now that you're just sitting there saying, God, I prayed. I I thought it was going to be this way. Why is it this way? But I guarantee you, five years from now, if it's anything like I've dealt with recently, you're going to say, oh, okay. I can't see it any other way. Because God is bigger than we are. His ways are greater than our ways. And y'all, we somehow got to understand that. I don't know who that's for, but I'm going on with the sermon. Here we go. Look here, right quick. I can finish this. How do we become kingdom focused? Now, let me just tell you this. this. This was Paul. In Acts chapter 20, I want to show you something. Paul said this. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aims is to finish the race. Now, when you run a race, every race I've ever run in, there's a laid out track. There's something that's been predetermined. If you're going to run the race, if you're going to attempt to compete in the race, you got to run the track that's laid out there. You can't cheat, okay? And so he's talking about his life. And it says, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's like, nothing in my life matters more than that. I am so kingdom focused. I am so much about Jesus that that's what my passion is and that's all I care about. Now, it's interesting. When you start looking at our lives, I don't know about you, but I come far short of what he just shared there. My life doesn't look like that all the time. I have moments of that. I have had moments of that. But I'll tell you this. I work real hard at trying to keep my focus on the kingdom. And what I'm talking about is my focus on eternity. Listen, when I go back and I look at what God did through these churches we helped start, if I continue to just hold on to what I was holding on to, I wasn't holding on to the kingdom. I was holding on to the kingdom of Brian at that time. I needed to be more focused on the kingdom of God. And that's what God wanted to do through my life personally as, as he was leading me. But so many times we make so much of this life about ourselves, our desires, our wants, 
He's saying, no, your life was intended to honor me. Paul said, I've got to go to that extreme measure. I've got to go out there. So look on your outline. How do we become kingdom focused? By sharing with those in our world. Jesus has just healed a man who was demon possessed. Jesus healed a lot of people. You remember reading about those things? Here's what he said. But Jesus sent him away. The man he just healed. He said, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And the man went his way and proclaimed where? Is it up there? Throughout the whole city. Who did Jesus say to proclaim it to? Tell your home. He couldn't help but tell the whole city. He went through the whole city. He was that excited about what God had done. He says, tell the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now, let me just tell you this. The greatest thing that's ever happened in our life, the greatest thing that's ever happened in our life is the salvation that we receive from Jesus Christ. Greatest thing that will ever happen to you. If you, you, may have been, you may have been physically healed years ago and you're thinking, man, what, what, man, I can't believe how God worked in that situation. That was not the greatest thing that ever happened to you. The greatest thing that ever happened to you is when you receive salvation. When Jesus does a work in your life in such a way that, that it exceeds everything else in your life. I remember this past year, there was a, a man told me, actually told me back in the summer, he, he was, I was asking him a question. He said, would you like to go to the masters? Now, some of you are sitting here like, well, what's a masters? I'm sure because it's the pastor, it's the master's teaching of the word type thing, right? It's not. <laughs> it's about a stinking golf tournament. Greatest one in the world, by the way. But anyway, so would you like to go? I said, yeah, that's on my bucket list. Of course I'd like to go. Well, guess what? Leading into that, I just wanted to tell everybody, I'm going to the master's. When I was there, I wanted to pick the phone up and say, at the master's. I mean... <laughs> When I got back, I wanted to tell everybody about the Masters. You see, my dad got me in the golf. And so one of the first phone calls I, I gave once I got home after experiencing the Masters, I called my dad. I said, hey, Dad, I said, have you ever been to the Masters? No, son, I haven't. I've been to the Masters. <laughs> and, and, and I guess the thing is, I guess what I'm saying in that, I was so pumped up about that. That meant so much to me. But you know something? It pales way in comparison as to what Jesus Christ has done to save my life. And I wonder sometimes, why is it that that reality of going to some great golf tournament, <laughs> why is that such a big deal when I'm not, I'm not having these conversations? I'm not calling dad and say, hey, I just want to tell you what Jesus did last week in my life. I was struggling with something. You wouldn't believe the struggle I was dealing with. This thing's been in the works for years. And he just released me from something. You wouldn't believe how he did it. I can't tell you the last time. I'm ashamed to tell you this. I can't tell you the last time I've talked to my dad in that way. And so I guess what I'm saying is we got to focus. Some of you today got to refocus because it's been a long time since you thought that way. There was a time in your life, but it's not now. So what to do before we share? Number one, don't anticipate a bad experience. Don't anticipate. If God's leading you to go to someone, don't anticipate a bad experience. It's amazing. We think that if we mention Jesus, we're going to get punched in the mouth. Now, in this day and age, it could happen. No, I'm just kidding. No, but, but, but I'm just here to tell you that, 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 that 
Don't expect that. Expect what God potentially could do. Number two, pray for the person. God's leading someone in your life to, to go after, someone at work, someone at school, someone in your family. Pray for the person. Begin to pray for that person. They would be receptive. Number three, realize the Spirit has preceded you. If God's laid that person on your life, guess what God's been doing over here? He's been working in their life. And he's trying to get the two of you together. And so you got to count on that. Realize, listen, success is determined by our obedience and not the response of the person. If the person does slam the door in your face, if the person does shut you down, it's not you that's being rejected. It's his message that's being rejected. So he's being rejected. Next, what do we share? Just put right beside that your story. <laughs> your story. What's your story? Number one, our life before Jesus. What was your life like before Jesus? Well, some of you, well, I was six when I gave my life to the Lord. I, I, I can't remember. Well, get creative. No, I'm kidding. Don't lie. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Number two, how we became a follower of Jesus. Maybe you were sitting in a church service and uh, whatever, someone came to your house or your grandmother or someone passed away that was important to you and you started reaching out and all of a sudden you discovered Jesus, whatever it may be. Here's number three, our, life's, our, now, our life now since our decision to follow Jesus. What's he been up to in your life? What's he doing? Next, why do we not share a story? Number one, we fear rejection. Again, rejection is not about you. They're rejecting the message. Number two, we are afraid they will ask us a question we can't answer. Many times they do. It's amazing how unbelievers, the questions they can ask. One time I was sharing with someone about Jesus, and we were talking, and say, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? Were the dinosaurs on the ark? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and so, I mean, they can ask, where did uh, Adam and Eve's children get wives? Not sure. I can look that up for you, though, but let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. How, I mean, you, just be prepared. You might not know all the answers. But you know your story, right? How about this? Uh, we don't know how to start a conversation about spiritual matters. Let me tell you one thing that years ago I learned. that Jesus is very controversial in our day. Do you all realize that? I used to start my conversations like this. Who is Jesus to you? But you know what? There's another way you can do that. Because it is. I mean, Jesus right away... They're sizing you up when you, you mention the name of Jesus. So sometimes it does take a better. How about this? How about, do you ever think about spiritual things? Do you, do you ever think about what eternity may look like? And just kind of lead into it. Now some of you are like, man, I'm terrified to do stuff like that. I'll be honest with you. I'll be very honest with you. Do you know it's easier for me to do what I'm doing up here right now than to do what I'm telling you to do for me? This is, this is difficult in itself. But that's more difficult for me. You're the preacher. It should be easy on you. Spirit ain't in you if you're the preacher. Oh, it's tough. I fight the same things you do. My chest feels like it's going to beat out of its... My chest. My heart feels like it's going to beat out of its chest. I mean, I, I, I experience everything that you do. But sometimes you just got to go with it. And sometimes I'll just throw something out there. See what happens. And you'd be amazed where those conversations go. Number next, we do not believe the word of God. 
That's the reason we don't share the story. We don't believe the Word of God. Number four, we believe the myth that people are not interested in spiritual issues. Polls tell us that Americans are more interested in spiritual things now than they were 10 years ago. Let me tell you why. I got a theory. The world and our society is setting people up. Did you know that? It is creating voids in their life. I'm talking about deep voids. I'm talking about wide voids. This whole idea of everybody communicating electronically and everybody not really talking to people anymore and that kind of thing, it is leading void. There are voids everywhere. There are more voids now that people are aware of than any other time in, in the history of mankind, I believe, because of the latest technology. There's no connections. Deep, deep voids. They're ready to hear something about something about what's going on in there. Now, some of them, when you mention Jesus, will turn you right off. But you got to be obedient to what he's called you to. That's the answer they need. That is the answer. Now, let's move on. we got to be, uh, by daring to reach our world, number one, or look on, I'm skipping some of the verses back there, guys. But look here, to be daring in our reach, we must look past ourselves. we got to be selfless. Paul, when he talked about reaching people, he said, I became what I needed to become. I'm paraphrasing. I became what I needed to become to reach some with the gospel. I became what I needed to become. You know what he had to do? He had to set aside his preferences. I'm sure that he loved the hymns in the first century. The hymns ministered to him in a way He's never been ministered to than by hymns. When his mother used to rock him in the rocking chair, she would sing Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. And I'm not making fun of all that, but I'm here to tell you, we got to be careful what we're calling, what are really preferences today. Because we're out there, many of us are out there talking about all these things as if they're principles. They're not principles. There's a lot of preferences out there. And Paul reminds us that there's a lot of things out there we're going to have to get past if we're going to reach people. And we got to get past ourselves first. Number two, think outside the box. When, you, when, you, when you're going to reach people, you got to think outside the box. Be creative. I had a gentleman tell me not long ago. He was one, he's one of the great soul winners I know of. He, you know what he does? Now, some of you may not have the money to do this. That's fine. He goes and buys $25 Walmart gift cards. And then he walks around Walmart. And he asks God to lay someone on his heart to give that to that he can share the gospel. Now, it's a little creepy at first when you hear the story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but how many of you think, that is pretty cool? Don't you think that $25 of minister to somebody? Yeah. And he'll go around. He'll just pray. Lord, just lead me to someone. Thinking outside the box. Thinking outside the box. How, how do you do that? Well, number one, you've got to be intentional. He set it up. He went and did it. You've got to be strategic. How many of you have ever done this? Lord... I've, I, people told me about this. I've tried it. It works. Lord, send me one person today that I can share my story with. Now, when you pray that prayer, you're doing two things. You're asking God to work out a connection with someone. And number two, it's causing you to be mindful that that may happen. You're looking. You prayed for it. God wants people saved. What only makes sense? He's going to send someone. Now, I've got to be kingdom-focused to determine who it is that I may share my story. Got to be strategic. Number, number three, trust the Spirit as He leads. You got to be Spirit-filled. 
got to be spirit-filled. Several years ago, I was in a village in Romania, and I was walking with the interpreter. And, and of course, in the villages, some of those people had never met Americans. And so they were intrigued by that. And every time we went to a door, it's kind of funny. Translators, knock, 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 open the door. Hey, this is American. You ever met one? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of bizarre in some ways. But anyway, we would get a conversation going, and it allowed us to share. Well, we would go and share. And occasionally, he, the, the, the translator would say, uh, uh, no, let's, let's don't go by that house. And then we'd go and see some more, and there'd be one. And, and I, I was curious. By the end of the day, I came up to him and said, why were some houses we didn't go to? Now, let me tell you about the translator. He'd never been in the village himself, never been there. But he chose not to go to certain doors. And I asked him, I mean, this, this was so foreign to me. I asked him, I said, well, why did you choose not to go to those doors? Here's what he told me. And I was convicted by this. I wasn't led to go to that door. Something in my spirit told me we don't go to that door. The only thing that went through my mind is this. Why don't I think that way? What am I missing here? You got to be spirit-filled. Kingdom-focused. I, I mean, this is next by caring for the world. Footnote, our mission has eternal consequences. And they're big consequences. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. No one likes to talk about hell anymore. I don't like to talk about hell anymore. I, 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 I hate it, but it's, 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 it's a reality in the future. There, it is an eternal reality for a lot of people. And I want God to put me in a position where I can help change their destiny by sharing who he is. <laughs> and that's what we're called to do. Now, I want to close. Look, look at, look, I got to close here. Look at the application. Do you care enough to be daring enough to share your story? of how Jesus radically changed your life. Is anyone going to heaven? Think about this because of you. L let me tell you this. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you a fact. I was eight years old when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Within two weeks of, leading my, of, of, of accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I led my six-year-old sister to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that braggingly. I'm telling you the passion that I once had in my life, even as an eight-year-old. I knew it was important as an eight-year-old. Isn't it amazing that we can have theological degrees and we can have all this stuff about the Bible and had all these Bible studies and we can't even get to the focus of an eight-year-old that someone's eternal destiny is important? So my question to you is, why aren't you having those conversations? Can I tell you why you're not? It's deeper than your fear. It's deeper than the possibility of being rejected. It's deeper than they may ask a question you can't answer. Can I tell you why? And you're not going to like the answer. The reason you don't have those conversations, same reason I don't. I don't believe God's word. Because if I believe God's word, that there was a literal place called hell, and it described it the way it does, it would totally transform how I view the conversations I have with other people. That's our problem. I ask the ushers to come forward if they would. Father, we just come to you right now and we thank you for your goodness and Lord, just who you are. And Father, this is one of the messages. It's just difficult. But Father, we got to have this reality. We gotta, this reality has got to be in front of us. Lord, we got to be kingdom-focused. Uh, we, we as individuals need to be kingdom-focused. We as a church need to continue to be kingdom-focused. 
But Lord, it's more than saying a prayer for someone. It's more than giving a couple of dollars that someone else can say it. Father, you've called us all to be a witness, to be a witness to, in this dark world to bring light. And Father, I just pray, Lord, you'll just help motivate us to, to see what's really at stake here. To see and understand that we have friends and we have family that are going to a place that the Bible calls hell. And unless your spirit intervenes, unless people are obedient to get that word out, unless someone cares enough to be daring enough to share, there's a good chance the reality of hell will be in their eternal destination. Father, I pray, thank you for this offering. I pray that you use as we continue to do what you call us to do to, to reach people. To turn them from path of hell to the path of where you are, heaven. And we thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.